You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. You are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal, joined today by Shauna Murray-Brown. She is an LCSW and the owner of Kindred Wellness and a consultant, trainer, um, really amazing human being. And we are going to talk about liberatory leadership today. We're going to talk about modeling. We're going to talk about showing up and authenticity and all the things that come with it. So thanks for coming on and just making the time. Thanks for having me, Patrick. We could have been recording like while we were talking um, before we started this and lots of good stuff coming out of that. And I wanted to talk like you are in the midst of a dissertation and your PhD program and doing all the things and and uh, consulting with organizations. And I want to let you take over and, you know, tell us a little bit about why this feels like such a big passion for you right now in your life and what's going on. And let's see where this goes. Yeah, thanks for thanks for that um, lead in. So when I think of liberatory leadership, I really think it's a really solid summation of um, what I have been learning through life. Um, primarily in my entrepreneurial experience, but I do think that it is related um, on all aspects. When I started Kindred Wellness, and I guess it was like 12 years ago, um, I started it while working as as a social worker in child welfare. I was doing um, sex abuse investigations and um, I really, really hated it. <laughs> and before before I was doing that, I was um, in the family preservation. Um, on the side, I was doing grassroots organizing work to like shut down prisons um, here in the city of Baltimore. And the my work, Kindred Wellness, really came out of me responding to what I saw was a need, what was like absent in the work that I was doing in community. And at that time it was, there weren't spaces for black girls and their mothers to be able to sort of remember how to heal themselves, right? And that was the beginning of my business, right? Um, I had been an entrepreneur many times before, you know, braiding hair, making necklaces, (laughs) you know, um, babysitting, Okay, like I I was a serial entrepreneur, but this felt different because it was so deeply connected to like my own personal development. And so when when I think about like 12, 13 years ago and now, you know, I feel like our businesses and our life and especially in my work during the time that I was um, actively an integrative psychotherapist. Everything is a mirror, right? Like we're called to model back. Um, it's almost to like communicate with the universe about how developed. <laughs> like, did you learn the lesson 
from a decade ago now, like you, you have the tools. And so the people that I'm holding space for now are um, practitioners, mental health providers, healers, change makers, and organizers. Um, I'm, you know, we're talking about liberatory practice all the time when we're talking about how to do therapy from a decolonial way. And then when I'm partnering with organizations and, and nonprofits, most of the folks that I have the honor of holding space for are at, at organizations where Black and Brown and Indigenous people are at the helm and they're making radical change, but they're guiding. So a, a, a community of leaders and everybody is, um, can I cuss on here? <laughs> Every, okay, like everybody is like, fucked up about it people it's like it's a shitstorm. um like it is bringing up a lot of people's trauma and so um as I was doing my work around like what does it mean to create a liberatory power practice what does it mean to navigate uh oppressive systems from a liberatory perspective what does it mean to run a nonprofit from a liberatory and anti-racist perspective the the thing is you could talk about the organization, but without talking about the the person guiding and walking through the work, that's liberatory leadership. And so it's just, it's coming back up for me and my business and um, all the things I'm seeing reflected back. That's a really incredible journey. And I love, there's so many, one, I just love the, can I curse on here? So I, <laughs> you know, because I just knew it was about to come out. I was like, ooh. Oh, this is authenticity for me, Patrick. <laughs> That's exactly what we encourage here. And, you know, it's beautiful to see, like, what you mentioned as an entrepreneur is we kind of create what we need. We kind of create what we see and, and what we feel passionate about. And being able to see that journey through the last 12 years, starting with, like, the community mental health and and recognizing, like, there's so much need here, but the resource isn't there or the or the information or education isn't here yet and then creating around what you're seeing in your community and and and, and globally too and you and i talked a couple of weeks ago and just about the last couple of years and how fucking hard they've been especially on the bipoc community and just the recognition of like you're creating this thing that there's going to be a lot of polarization around there's going to be a lot of emotion there's going to be a lot of trauma there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up and i'm just curious about like your role in that and holding that space and how that impacts you as you as you guide and lead and and show up for the people that you're helping yeah so my role in that and how okay so i i have to say for me it's all before the last 3 years it's always been pol my work has always been polarizing but the extent to which I felt comfortable being my full self and being seen at the same time in my work had, had changed, right? Um, and so the the last three years specifically was feels like a mirror from 2015 when um, the uh, uprising here in the city of Baltimore around Freddie Gray took place and so still vastly different because we had the overlay of COVID-19 and the complete shutdown but still you know the when I think of the la the last three ish years I'm thinking about COVID but I'm mostly thinking about um the public 
um, lynching of black men, right? And so, and and then it's like that is the anchor, and then what's happening <laughs> around that. Um, and so the suffocating experience of not knowing what's going to happen next, the fear around um, uh, how long do we have together, like meaning like just in the world. Um, for me, 2015 and, and 2020 just sort of mirror, like I feel like I'm, like I'm in repeat, but like, but like it's amplified, it's more intense. Um, and so my role centrally has been first returning to myself, returning to presence for myself and figuring out what my capacity is to hold space for others and how to communicate that. Like what are boundaries from a liberatory perspective where I'm also contending with my own personal freedom? Like I'm also contending with my own personal healing. Like how do we hold liberatory liberation for everybody and freedom for the self within like this really fucked up capitalistic and a whole bunch of other istics <laughs> problems like what what is that and so um so it i always begin in my reflection and my holding space for other people with where do i need to first hold space for myself so that like what I'm holding up for other folks isn't distorted or it can be the clearest it can be. And I'm transparent. I'm holding it up. They can see themselves. And then I am transparent, you know, and I know that what I'm going to share back isn't going to be, you know, trauma spillover, but perhaps reflection. reflection. It's going to be coming out of a space of love and usefulness, but not, oh, I need to be seen. It's really powerful, especially that last statement of the, oh, I need to be seen, because I think there's a lot of um, performative nature in a lot of leaders, too, especially from leaders who look like me, um, who have the privilege that I have. And over the last couple of years, seeing the rise in necessity to be outspoken, to be anti-oppressive, to be showing up from a liberatory leadership perspective and i think that also comes with conflict that comes with you know am i able to show up and understand that by being outspoken about values that means we may turn people off that may mean we lose people that may mean that it's not always quote unquote good for our businesses in some perspectives and I think that is what leadership means, right? Is like doing hard things and being able to absorb both the positive and the negative, understanding that leadership means showing up in the thickest and hardest of times. And also knowing that there may be fallout based upon where there you will decide. Be there will be fallout. Yeah. yeah. There, will yeah. Be fallout. there will be fallout. Okay. And that's what... It, I think the definition of leadership is, is when you stand up for what you believe to be right and what, where your values are aligned and are anchored in. Yeah. What comes up for me, there are a few things that came up for me as you were um, sharing. One of them was, you know, that there's fallout because of polarization and there's fallout because, er because sometimes it's fallout because it's polarization 
and folks just aren't interested in being rooted in a liberatory um, reality. And you have to just be like, all right, you know, here's the boundary and this isn't it. And there's fallout because in relationship, there's fallout, period, right? I had the honor of holding space for um, an organization I've been serving for, I think we're on year four and a half, right? I think we're at four and a half now, maybe five. And I'm, and so this is pre-pandemic to now, but we were still just creating like deep connection and a sense of safety with each other. And then the pandemic came in and shook that up. And while I was holding space for this group of leaders, the this um, executive team, um, I was guiding them through a process they hadn't been through before. My my role with them had changed over time. At first, I was working with just act just the um, advocates and and the um, service providers, the grassroots folk, and then it shifted to me offering support for the executive team. And they had not ever had conversations about collective agreements and how they be how they were going to be together with each other and what authenticity looks like. And when I was holding space for these, this conversation, one of the um, leaders, um, she was a white woman, and she said, I mean, I don't know if I should just think that, like, we just don't trust each other. Like, do we have trust issues? And, you know, she was saying it like, oh, well, shit, like, we, we've been working together all this time, and we don't trust each other. And I was just like, absolutely. Y'all been working together this whole time. And y'all don't trust each other because y'all are in relationship, but haven't invested in cultivating trust and relationship, cultivating authenticity or defining what that is and creating safety with each other. And many folks don't, right? And so when we're thinking about like that fallout that happens in our businesses, um, sometimes it's in our businesses, sometimes it's with the people we're serving. It's also fallout because we have to put more time in for the emotions that come up when we're triggered. It's like that that's just it, right? Um, and so like that that came up for me is right, like we have to also recognize that not all fallout is because people aren't about to work. Some fallout is is because we're still learning how to love each other. And love usually isn't allowed in business, right? Or you're not allowed, really. It's not acceptable. It's, it's, it's against the status quo to actually, truly give a fuck about the people you're working with. And there's not a model for how to do that when you're also trying to survive a capitalist system, make profit so that you can live a thriving life, right? Those things are not usually <laughs> holding hands, right? Yeah. That's so true. I mean, the ability to truly care about each other's well-being and safety and mental health and, and just ability to get needs met versus making money off of the work that someone's doing. I think that's a really challenging line to walk for a lot of people, even with the best of intentions. Yeah. And there's a lot of like you said, that love has to be created and fostered and that trust and safety has to be created and fostered. And that means having difficult conversations sometimes. And being and wrong. And being wrong. <laughs> like piloting some shit and that shit failing, right? Like all Absolutely. of this is anything liberatory, anything 
liberal yes folks have been doing it for centuries yes we can call on multiple the multiplicity of like radical traditions of doing things right and it's always going to be different and so we're gonna everything is a pilot right when we're working when we're trying to co-create liberatory praxis and way of doing things and so we're gonna we're gonna fuck up we're gonna hurt each other we're gonna learn more about you know our money trauma we're gonna learn more about the uh, how we feel safe or unsafe um depending on how much money is generated or not right like all or how much exchange is happening right um yeah so that that's it's all up in our business patrick <laughs> every day <laughs> Would you think, do you think, and I feel like this could be like a really obvious answer for me to even ask, but the reason so many people shy away from doing this type of work is because the inevitable fuck up that's going to be happening and the, and the inevitable fallout that happens. So it's like, if I just avoid this, if we don't have these conversations, then we never have to go down that road of the, the fuck up or the failure or the fallout or the, the conflict. Uh, absolutely. Like, actually, let me read, let me read it that part. Don't edit this out. Absolutely. Right. Like <laughs> try deciding, Hey, I'm going to try to honor humanity and reconsider, um, adequate reciprocity and a system that wasn't created for that. Even though our notion of business was inherently oppressive. Right. And so, it is so much easier to do what everyone else has done to gain quote unquote success if success is, you know, amassing a certain amount of coins. All right. Like it's so much easier to do what everyone else is doing. It's the tried and true way. And you have, because it's almost, it's almost, Okay, so you know, in, in trauma work, right, one of the underlying things that is a really important practice is to let the folks we're holding space for know what we're doing before we do it. We know what to expect, right? When you work for a company that is not particularly liberatory, maybe they got some social justice, you know, statements in there, but they're not actually looking to um, embody anything decolonial, you know what to expect, right? You're going to, this is what you're getting paid. This is the way it's going to be. We're not doing all that emotion shit. Keep that at home. That's private. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what professionalism is, right? So the status quo in that regard, while it is harm, harmful to us and has historically been, it is also safer because it's what we've become accustomed to and used to. And when we decide not only for ourselves as um, the leaders making the sort of ultimate decision, but the leaders we're working with, right, or the folks that are walking into their definition of leadership, um, we're, we're also saying, hey, so uh, I'm sort of building this plane. <laughs> I'm repairing it as we're going up. We're going to change this, the shape of the um, of the wings. <laughs> we hope we don't crash while we, right? Like, you're literally changing the fabric of how we do business, how we engage, how we guide. And it is unlike, like no one has mastered it. And so it, it is absolutely scary as shit. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe in that 
imperfect action of build the plane as you fly it and figuring it out as you go. But I understand what you're saying of saying you have to kind of go against the status quo if you're going to be willing to move into more of a liberatory leadership, anti-oppressive lens, and that you are going to have to really find a kind of buck the system in that regard of like, this is how we run a business. This is how we treat employees. This is how we kind of create culture that we have. And I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong. The inability to try to think differently or outside the box or see things from a different lens. And I, I can see the challenges in that too. And so you kind of moved into this anti-oppressive, um, decolonialism based therapy practice consulting cons, consulting yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> during the last couple of years and i'm just curious about like you know obviously i i totally see the need for that i think it's imperative but what what prompts that we see okay. all we're seeing all this you know all this murder on tv of young black men by the mm -hmm. police we have the fucking donald trump presidency going on at the same time there's a lot of shit going on. And then yeah. it sounds like that's where you were like, this is, I need to show up. This is the need that I'm seeing. I need for people to really get this right. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. So, okay. So remember when I said like, I might have been doing the work, but I didn't, I wasn't okay with being seen broadly doing the work. And so I would say that my experiences, my initial experiences with receiving therapy were mostly atrocious and I and not like well maybe once I was gonna say not like like blatant racism but that's not true <laughs> like I was right but there's a couple of um sort of I'll call them watershed moments for me um that were was preparing me you know like or you know sort of showing me that this was my work and so the first time I will say was probably when I was in undergrad, um, shout out to all the Terps, all right, um, is when I was in undergrad and I was in like a psychology, was this in a criminal, I was studying criminal justice, criminology, criminal justice, and family science. And I was in like a, in a class and we were reviewing for an exam and there were a series of um, lectures I intentionally missed. And those were the lectures about drug policy. And that was because it was triggering for me because my mother struggles and has struggled with addiction. And the way that folks would talk about Black folks struggling with addiction was triggering for me and made me want to pe punch people in the face. So I intentionally missed those classes. And so we were reviewing for an exam at the end of the semester. And the... Um, the professor, there was no way for me to know when we were going to review that section of the course, right, for this exam. And he was reviewing it, and I was like, I'm very sure this would meet the criteria for PTSD. I, you know, basically had a flashback of my mother sort of doing drugs, and I left the class and did, and then did not show up for my exam. Bad idea, okay? <laughs> bad, bad idea. And so I went to the cultural center, um, on campus uh, at the University of Maryland uh, called the Nimburu Cultural Center. And I spoke to one of the um, leaders there because um, I was in there crying like, oh my goodness, I'm about, not only am I triggered, I'm about to fail this class, right? <laughs> and I don't do fail, right? Because 
perfectionism 5000. And so <laughs> what he did is he sent me to the walk-in time for therapy um, for students to gain therapy. It was like the p- people of color sort of like therapy walk-in. I'm not going to tell y'all how many years ago that was. Just know I'm a millennial, okay? So <laughs> that's it. That's all y'all need to know. Don't need to know whether or not I'm older or the younger one. I'm a millennial. So they have POC, like walk-in, um, or maybe it was Black folk walk whatever. I went, I spoke to this therapist, the, I think it was a psychologist, Black man, Harvard trained. Why do I know that? Because his uh, like degree and license was big as day over his desk. And he was trying to, he's, I guess he was trying to help me when he was like, okay, so tell me what's going on. And I was like, can you tell me who you are? Hi, what's your favorite color? Where you from? Like, can we build something? Like, I'm not about to tell you all my business. Like, I'm going to need you to like connect with me. And he was like, that's not what we're doing here, right? Like, I'm here to help you. I'm the expert. I'm, you're going to tell me your problems. And I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And I was like, eh, eh, we not about to do this shit. And so, like, I left. Thankfully, I was able to sit for my exam still after just communicating authentically with my professor. But that was, like, the first, right, experience where I was like, this is trash, right? <laughs> and this was undergrad. So I was not nobody's therapist. I was I was still loud and about um, problematic things. But I was like, this is trash. The second time would probably have been after I... Um, two times, you know, one was after my brother was murdered while incarcerated and I could not find a therapist. I was a social worker at the time. I was and therapist. I couldn't find a therapist that didn't know me because I was training others. And the way that my colleagues were responding to me was almost like they were afraid to engage with me because like the huge public, very like horrible sort of traumatic experience and nobody really knew how to engage with me at that time so that and then the last would be after I had my my daughter she had spent some time in the hospital we wasn't sure she was gonna make it she had um, bacterial meningitis and like I knew I needed therapy because I was like if she don't make it we ain't leaving like I was like I'm gonna hurt myself like I'm not leaving out here without my baby And again, I had to ask the social worker, hey, I'm a social worker. I need a skilled therapist, please, because this is not okay. And I was didn't have health insurance at the time, went to a a therapist through a nonprofit that was offering free therapy, got myself a nice white racist um, woman (laughs) who was like, oh, you weren't thinking of like hurting your baby? You're not. You're fine. I'm like, no, I'm a professional. I'm mental, mental health. I'm telling you, not fine. And she was just so dismissive that I was like, this is trash. And so those particular experiences from the time that I was um, in undergrad, which was over a decade ago, <laughs> right? Um, that's when I started my initial awareness. A, cu- a couple years after that, I graduated, went, got my MSW, thought it was super racist, was like, this is problematic, altered my clinical practice. And that's when I started studying privately, right? So this would be about 10 years ago, 10, 12. Okay, now y'all gonna know. I was, okay, 12 years ago is when I started my business. I started my private practice 10 years ago, right? And so 
10 years ago is when I started to apply the, the liberatory praxis. I was doing my personal work. I was studying liberatory ideologies. I was doing my healing work myself. And that's how I altered my clinical work. But it wasn't until had, reflecting on my time in college, having the time after my brother was killed and my colleagues not knowing how to engage with me and subsequently having this time when I really needed support um, and not being able to get access to it, that I was like, oh, I have to, I, I have to do it. Like after I get myself together, after I go and utilize my own frameworks for my own healing practice, I have got to increase the population of folks that understand that this, this, this liberatory work is needed. So I was doing that teaching and that work um, my daughter is five. So I I was doing, and my brother was killed seven years, seven, eight years ago. So I was doing, I've been teaching liberatory praxis for about seven years. The pandemic just put that on like hyperdrive. I was doing the trainings, but only for like 20 people in Baltimore, you know, a small consultation. Folks, folks did not want to pay me. Okay. They wanted to do one, one workshop. And be done. It was used to piss me off. I was like, nobody wants to do this. I was just like, what the fuck? We can't go deep in two hours, y'all. We can't. Um, and so, like, that's what I was dealing with, like, seven, eight years ago. With folks being like, okay, well, just, yeah, I know you had this series of 15 hours. Mm, we got $500. Can you come up for two hours? And I would just be like, fine, right? And so the pandemic, unfortunately, fortunately, made me have to put it on um, uh, maybe had to put the teachings in a way where people could um, access it virtually. And that's how the turn up happened. Folks learned of um, the um, the way that George Floyd's life was killed, was taken and subsequently amplified my work. So I'd been doing it for a while. Um, it's always been necessary. And, and there's been others that have been doing it, but I've been doing this particular work for a while, but it only was amplified three years ago. I know that was a long story, Patrick. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's captivating because, I mean, I, I just appreciate you being willing to share it and just to put it out there. And I, I'm sure you have before, but I mean, I haven't heard it. So I appreciate your your willingness to do that. And Thanks there's so much to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just, I'm just thinking about those experiences and how those experiences are not rare, right? Like yeah. the experiences that you had along the way in, in seeking out your own support and therapeutic journey. And um, I'm thinking about like my wife who has a hard time finding people who look like her. And even when that's the case, like still being able to trust that you're going to build rapport and connection. You're going to like not just jump right into the clinical diagnosis part and like the ability to practice in a way where we're taking culture into consideration and it has to come to the forefront and not just saying like, we're going to use evidence-based practices. We're going to do these things and I'm not going to share anything about myself and like all the fucking bullshit that we see. But like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just incredible to say that that journey has taken you to where it's taken you to say, I know, to, I know that we need this. 
So even in my time of grief and suffering and struggle, I'm going to show up and do this fucking work. And the other thing that stands out for me is the, yeah, I just want to take your two hour course or like, you know, do this thing and be done with it. And I almost equate, equate that to like, just checking the box, right? Like of just yeah. like, and I talked to you about this when you and I met a couple of weeks ago of just like putting out there that like we're uh, anti-racist practice and we support the Black Lives Matter movement and like that's kind of it. And here's this recording and like do it at your own pace and let's go on our way. And it's almost the equivalency to in grad school of taking that one cultural diversity class mm-hmm. and saying like I'm credit. competent now. Yeah. So this this like this work is lifelong, right? Like this can't stop, and this can't just simply be a three hour requirement for you to be able to then say, "This is how I practice. This is how I show up in the world." Yeah, the 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 through point for that is that it is is shifted, right? Like we went from okay, we'll talk about anti-racist social work for two hours, you know, or I'll take, <laughs> for like, it's like um, Jeopardy, like, give me uh, liberatory practices for 100, please, right, essentially. And we went from there to binging. I, that's how I would, I would describe it. I would describe particularly the, the our world, right, of mental health, wellness, um, self-care, all of coaching, all of that. We binged. That's what I observed and watched. And that's what I was responding to and being asked for, opportunities for binging. And I was saying, let's go slower. While also my body was saying, I don't want to talk about this shit no more. I'm going to get it out. And like, you you take it or leave it, right? So there's always this multiplicity of things happening for us as leaders when we're sharing something really deep with ourselves because I was also deeply um, triggered by the entire existence of the pandemic. Like literally, it just brought up all the things from the murder of my brother. Every time a Black man is killed, I'm like not okay or I have to decide to to disassociate, right? And so the we watched folks go from checking the box to I'm ready now and to okay now what now? Tell me what to do now. Okay, I need it now. I need you to show me how to do it. And now I feel like like we passed the big hump, <laughs> you know, of of and not everybody people did want to binge and not everyone was I think most people were genuine in it, like it felt urgent. And many people transformed in their understanding because it was binging, but it was also deep focus, right? Like I binge Harlem on, on Amazon, all right? Like I, I watched all the seasons, I understand, I'm, I'm getting it. And now it's sort of like, all right, I'm tired. I don't really, we're back to the checkbox, right? And it's a different kind of checkbox. It's like, you know, it's it's we're responding to, you know, a lack of funding, a lack of uh, interest in how to create capacity for longevity. Um, and and I the way that I'm responding to that is to say, hey, I want to go deep and not wide. I'm tired. 
of being used in this particular way, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me, right? And my business to make that decision because it's not what's hot and popping in market right now, right? Go, going, doing a deep 16-hour training and then committing for the rest of the year to do deep work with your team isn't the top of anyone's line item in the midst of uh, folks thinking that the pandemic no longer exists whilst also um, dancing with a recession, right? And so the what it's done for me is show me why it's so important for me to consistently be with myself so that I am not reading others' interest in taking whatever I have to offer as a dehumanizing process, right? I have to remember, oh, I see everyone in their trauma response, our collective <laughs> trauma, right? I see us all sort of reacting in this way. How can I, as a leader, not take it personally? That means I have to be personal. I have to get personal with myself. What is coming up for me? How is this? Um, what is this showing me I still need to to commune with? Usually when I'm on these, I have like rapid fire thoughts, but right now I'm just taking in what you're saying. And I think it means, it sounds like when you're getting really intentional and real with yourself about what do you need out of this, that there's some sacrificing there and acknowledging like, I acknowledge that for me, I need to have people who are willing to show up for the year and, and really do the deep work. And with the acknowledgement of, but that means I'm sacrificing over here financially and all these other things that I could do in shorter spurts. But I think that's exactly coming full circle to your point of wanting to talk about liberatory leadership and saying, this is in alignment with my value system. And this is, yeah. this is really where this lands for me. And this is what feels really, really important at this point in my life with what I've done, with what I've given, with how I've shown up. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. The challenge of um holding those realities, um, seeing and understanding other people's needs and interests and and, and being aware of folks, I'm gonna say ignorance around like, you know, I mean, decolonizing and liberation and freedom went from words that really weren't I remember a funder once telling me that he'd like me to take liberation out of the name of my framework so that he could get funding for it. It was a, a white man of a large sort of foundation and I told I didn't tell him anything. <laughs> I didn't say yes or no. I just I pretended I didn't hear him and went on about my business. And so it went from that, right? This being like a scary term that, you know, I remember another another person saying, well, it makes me think of like the Black Panther Party and they were <laughs> violent. And I was like, nope, not accurate, right? And so that went from that to whole organizations saying um, decolonization, liberation, freedom, um, or conflating it, um, watering it down, um, sometimes in an effort to gain greater understanding, but oftentimes it gets sort of sucked up by the system of 
um, regurgitation. And so then folks don't understand what it really means, right? To and and so it it makes sense that you know I have to change and 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 when you have a team of folks working with you or you're seeking to build a team, right? Like I was in the midst of like really trying to build a team. And then I'm like, man, I need more money. Like I can't, <laughs> like I can't just be, I, I have to, how am I going to hold the space of needing and wanting to grow for the work to be at the volume this deserves? And the people, the people want is the quick, so, you know what I'm saying? Like the quick money, you know, uh, conversations. And so, yeah, it is really, it's a growth point for me again. I've never been in a situation where I thought I wanted a whole team of folks. I, I had gotten to a point where I was like, I'm good being solo over here. You know, I'm cool. And then I was like, nah, 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 that's not good. Like, that's not sustainable. Like, I need to grow. And so once I got to the point, I was like, oh, I'm gonna grow. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna grow this thing. Kendrick Wellness about to be out here. It's like at the same time. Society was like, eh, can we go back to that checkbox? You know? And so it is, it's this, it's, it's super important, right? To be like water. <laughs> like, and to really like, again, not not personalize it, but be personal, right? To to go deeper with myself. Um, and and to be candid um with the folks that I might be able to be in in partnership with, right? And the folks that I have the honor of having on my team, right? Around this is what's happening, y'all. We make some decisions. Usually we make decisions for coinagerie and for translation, coinagerie is money. All right. Uh, you know, usually we make decisions for what's gonna be profitable, but what is a, a, a liberation focused healing entrepreneurial journey it can't be rooted in capitalism but it also also means you can't live in an, you can't exist in a capitalistic society if you don't have it and that's the polarizing piece yes that's the that's the catch 22 here is standing firm in value versus can't pay rent in making yeah. certain decisions or staff and it's so fucking hard but I think at the end of the day, it feels so much more rewarding and fulfilling to be consistent yeah. and to show up the way that you want to show up. Yeah. And, you know, I wrestle with that a lot in my group practice because one of our values is people over profit. So I know I'm making significantly less money, but I also know we need to pay the bills and keep the lights on and pay, the, pay all the things that we we do to make sure clients are coming in the door, but whew, it's even that is challenging. So just staying true to your values and, and just showing up as authentically as possible, I think is as possible. That's what makes this all worth it. In my opinion, yeah. it makes the job a hell of a lot more fulfilling. It makes the relationships a hell of a lot more authentic and connected. And I just think that you're doing absolutely incredible work and, this has really been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had. And I, I mean that you're just everything you've got going on is really amazing. Thanks, Patrick.
It's been a shit show, but I'm glad it looks nice. Piece though is that it has been a shit show. Yeah. And yet you're showing up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um the thing about um the the essence of like liber liberatory leadership is showing up. It's staying there when you really want to run away. I was reading a quote from, mm, I don't want to mess up his name, so I'm going to pull it up so that I can say it correctly. Um, put it in my stories. One moment. Um, this, the, the quote is from um, Bio Akomalafe. Uh, and it's, I'm not going to read the entire quote, but the parts of it that really resonated with me this morning was, um, if healing is not the goal, where else to go, right? Um, this is the takeoff point of fugitive practice. It is not a question that desires answer. It is an unanswerable question. And the fugitive question, and the, and the fugitive practice, the question is only, how do I get out of here? Not where am I going? And so it makes me think about, right, that, that, that decision to stay and to be with your difficult emotions, to choose to be authentic, to cry with your colleagues when, you know, as a boss, you're not supposed to be crying out this bitch. You're supposed to keep that shit together. Right. So, you know, like you are, you're not supposed to be, you know, doing too much of the kiki, too much of the, of the connection, the depth when money is involved. When I was when I read that um, post and put it on my stories this morning, um, it made me think, OK, so the fugitive practice or the status quo is how can I get out of here? I just need this shit to be over. What do everybody else be doing or what are folks be saying? Uh, -uh get somebody else to do it. Right. Like. Mm -mm, don't want to be here. That's the fugitive practice. The fugitive practice uh, maintains the status quo. It is not liberatory, right? Liberatory leadership, liberatory work, doing liber. If if you've got been guided by me and my works, liberation focused healing doesn't always feel good. It's just like <laughs> when you're in therapy and you start to actually get to the crux of what the fuck is going on. And you're like, yikes, this does not feel good. But if you can go through it, you be okay with maybe, um, maybe I don't know the answer. You you get okay with, oh, okay, if you slow down and you allow yourself to be there, then you know, maybe the answer is there isn't one. You know what I mean? Maybe part of the liberation, the liberatory praxis, part of the uh liberatory leadership is being okay with not knowing and figuring it out together and being okay with everybody sort of contributing to that and life contributing to that and recognizing that like time, time ain't even real, you know, it's not real, but we have to pay attention to it because of those, those confines. And so it's, it's, it's being fluid. It is, it is absolutely acknowledging, acknowledging all of those things. So, you know, I, I feel like what I have been trying to do is resist the urge to, to take the exit, right? The exit being 
I'm gonna go watch that HGTV, figure out where where. I, now y'all weren't here, y'all weren't listening before we was talking about what I do when I'm doing nothing, and what I do is watch House Hunters International so I can figure out where my escape route is, right? Like, I want to go live somewhere else and, you know, live this fantasy life. And I still am going to go live somewhere else, but not, but the intention, right, resisting the fugitive practice is to say, I'm not going to get out of here and completely abandon the, the work because it's too hard. I can go and figure out more about myself in this new space, right? I can go and let myself be seen in this new space. And maybe the answer is in, in relationship and love. I love it. I, I hope all of this really resonates for everyone listening and that it makes you start to think a bit differently if it hasn't. And I really just appreciate you sharing your story and all of this really wonderful wisdom and advice and guidance ar around a topic that I think is really, really crucial. So just want to thank you for coming on and making the time and just showing up as authentically as, as you could. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sitting in the unknown with me. <laughs> yes, I appreciate you. Uh, likewise. And I'm looking forward to working together as well. Um, tell the audience where they can find more of Kindred Wellness and what you're doing and, and how they can access your information. Awesome. So my own miniature commercial got you. You can find me at Shauna Murray Brown with an E dot com. Not the color, y'all. Add the E. That's the first thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Hila Sister. Not sister. Sister. S-I-S-T-A. You follow me. All right. You can follow me. <laughs> You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Shauna Murray Brown with an E, y'all. Um, and I also have a Patreon that you can learn more about if you go to shaunamurraybrown.com and scroll all the way down. It'll send you to the links. Yeah, I'll be on there. You know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I, I lay down. But generally speaking, you can find me in the stories on Instagram. And you can always contact me through my website. <laughs> that was a wonderful pitch by the way so thank you for that it sounds like you've had to say that quite a few times so and listen and people love love be the cut one off they'd be like shauna brown nope shauna brownie nope murray brown y'all with an e all right soon to be doctor you know i'm gonna put that in there because in a couple months y'all gonna hear i'm gonna add i'm gonna add some other sauce to it you know it's gonna be doctor. Miss you that way so you know, I, you I know and i want to just i want to let you do it i was i want to let you do it patrick because it's about to be true couple Love. months couple months in 2023 uh. congratulations on that that's a huge huge accomplishment i could not do the dissertation piece i could barely do the research class in fucking graduate school so <laughs> more power to you but i i that is really amazing amazing accomplishment and, and thanks again for coming on all of that information will be in the show notes for everyone so you have easy access to it and I just want to thank everyone for listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, new episodes on all major platforms. Like, download, subscribe, and share. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Sean. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.